I invite you to turn to Romans 8. If I haven't met you, my name is Father Aaron Damiani, and we're in a new series today for Easter called The Promises of the Resurrection. And these are, if you're in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, this series is meant to strengthen your faith and clarify what's been offered to you through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. If you're not a Christian, if you're still considering the claims of Christ, this is a way for you to evaluate what you're stepping into and in some ways see for yourself before stepping in what it would look like to follow Jesus and be in Jesus as Paul describes it. For now, let's just talk a minute about the snow. Can we talk about the snow for just a minute? Um, did you at all, like, look, looking out the window, did you feel at all demoralized? You know, just sort of like powerless, like, there's really nothing I can do here. Um, you know, after all the progress we made, if you remember last week, I mean, it was like heaven on earth, it was Easter, it was warm outside, and then, and then snow. It might have well have been Palm Sunday again, just, <laughs> just snowing. And, you know, you can commiserate and you can sort of complain, but it's like, what else can you do? You know, Chicago's going to do what Chicago's going to do. And I, I was thinking about how a lot of us feel similar about sin in our life. That, you know, you make a lot of progress. You can have lots of springtime spiritually. And then all of a sudden it's like snowing again. And we're like, where did that come from? What in the world is going on? You know, you, you might have had seasons where you just were feeling more and more freedom in Christ, more and more free in the love of God, you know, more of the Holy Spirit flowing through you, more capacity and maturity to, to move into the needs of others and, and to, to move beyond yourself and, and actually like be present to other people as Christ would, to get healthier, to get wiser, to, to get freer. And then like all out of nowhere, it's like the weather forecast for your spiritual life is like snow and cold and windy and setbacks. The addiction comes back. The ugly feelings resurface. The old patterns that you thought you left behind like come raging back. You find yourself getting callous and angry towards the needs of other people instead of tender. And it just feels like we can't win. We can't win. So the question this morning as we open Romans 8 is, how do we shake off that sense of gloom and that sense of powerlessness? Because it might feel like we're as powerless against sin as we are powerless against snow falling in April, but it's not true. It's just not true. And so Romans 8, the truth of Romans 8 is really designed to move us from a place of discouragement to a place of empowerment to move us from passive resignation where we're just sort of like giving up to active partnership with the Holy Spirit, active responsibility, uh, active joy with the Holy Spirit. So the Lord has given us power from another world. And that's really, so as we look at Romans 8, there's, there's three movements that we're going to see in this passage, Romans 8, 1 through 13. You can even look there in your bulletins right now. I'll explain kind of where we're going. Or you can turn there in your Bibles. But you look at that first chunk. You see that first chunk? Verses 1 through 4. This, the focus here is really going to be on what God has done. 
that it's just a decisive move of God to change the power dynamics of sin in and around our life. What God has done, verses one through four. Verses five through eight, see that second chunk there? That's really sort of what it looks like when we resist. It's like the resistance against what God has done. And all of us have measures of resistance. And then you see that the final two paragraphs there, verses nine through 13, together, really, that's the participation in what God has done. That's really when we are saying yes. Verses four, five through eight, it's really, it's like when we say no. <laughs> um, verses nine through 13, it's like when we say yes, when we say yes to what God has done. And so we're going to be moving from saying no, I can't, to yes, in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, um, I can. Let me say a word about uh, the book of Romans. This passage we're looking at is a powerful passage within a powerful chapter, within a powerful letter. This letter was written to a marginalized, suffering, small church plant in the city of Rome in the first century, and it was written by a church planter and teacher named Paul. And he wrote it to them, and he's writing to a group probably smaller than this group, or about the same size. And yet this letter has changed so many people's lives in the last 2,000 years. There's been millions, even billions of people whose lives have been fundamentally altered because of what is written. The, the, the words of Romans are laden with power. And this section of Romans is laden with power. And so what we're doing is we're praying, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you now sort of release the power of this, of this passage of Scripture to change our life? Let's even pray now. Lord, we ask now that the Word of God would break stones. And we ask that the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God would be unleashed throughout our whole church. And for, for every person here, Lord, you know what we're ready for. So we pray that you would become our true teacher. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's look at verses one through four, what God has done. What has he accomplished on our behalf? Verse one says, There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the sense really here is, when he says condemnation, it's like he's saying doom. There's no more doom. You know, imagine being sentenced in a courtroom. You know, you're already found guilty. Now what remains? The sentencing. The sense of having to pay a pound of flesh, that there's only, uh, there's only doom ahead for you. There's only darkness ahead for you. There's sort of a cloud hanging over you that you've been convicted, and that there's going to be all kinds of consequences you don't even know you're going to have to face. And what Paul is saying is that that doom in Christ Jesus, if you're in Christ Jesus, that doom has been removed by God's power. And the question really is, how did that happen? How did the doom get removed? And verse 2 explains a little bit about this. It's almost like unpacking what this means. Paul says, for the law of the spirit of life, really fascinating phrase there, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Uh, New Testament scholar Douglas Moo unpacks this word law here in verse two. He has a phrase that I love, it's called binding power. Binding power. I mean, what, what is binding power? Binding power is that irresistible influence that determines how your life will go from someone higher up the chain. 
someone higher up the chain than us who has an irresistible influence to define what life is going to be like for us. So think about the binding power of a parent over a small child. Okay, for good or for bad, the parent can determine so much of that child's reality. Think about the binding power, I mean, we're talking about it, of the weather in Chicago over you. Like, you're not going to be doing a whole lot to change the weather. You're going to be just be like living with it, living under it. Or the binding power of an employer over employee, just to define the culture of the workplace and the policies and the scope of the work. The spirit of Jesus has a binding power that has broken the binding power of sin and death. So he's taken it away. There's been this reversal that's changed reality for us. And so verse 3 is going to explain this even more. Um, So this is sort of cascading implications here of what God has done. Look with me at verse 3. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as a sin offering, he condemned sin in the flesh. There's a lot to unpack here. What I'm going to focus on now is how Christ beat the power of sin and death from inside the system. Okay? This is really what verse 3 is talking about. It's that Jesus came inside the system. He actually put himself under the binding power of sin and death without succumbing to it, which no one else could have done. Think about an apartment complex off the side of the highway. An old apartment complex in disrepair. There's salmon-colored paint peeling off the cinder block walls, and the windows are boarded up, and it smells terrible as you walk inside. Uh, The water's got lead in it. It smells like eggs. Um, The local school is terrible. Whoever, whatever kids live in this apartment complex go to a school that's chaotic and dangerous. Um, uh, A lot of the families are not functioning, or they're split up because of prison sentences and, um, and divorce. Uh, the, um, the landlord is the one who has the binding power over this apartment complex, and, and he's a terrible person, really. He runs a prostitution ring. He runs a meth lab, and the only way for any of us to survive in this apartment complex is to just get along with him, to not cross him, to become just part of the system there, and As soon as we become one of his foot soldiers, as soon as we sort of uh, go along with what he says we have to do, he's got the goods on us. He he can now send us to jail, and he's, you know, selling meth to the cops that are totally in on this whole operation. And, like, if you're born into that apartment complex, you're kind of doomed. Your future is just bleak. And the entire system of the world you are being raised in, is designed to sort of suck the life out of you from start to finish. Now, how does, if that is a metaphor for the power of sin and death, where it's just like we're born into this system that's just fundamentally sick and broken and opposed to God, right? And here's what God does. Metaphorically speaking, he sends Jesus to be born inside the apartment complex. He's being raised in this environment, and he's got all of the same temptations that we do, all the same weaknesses. He experience, He goes to the local schools and gets beat up. He, he drinks the water. He gets lead poisoning. He, he has this, There's the same entreaties to just go along with it and perpetuate it. And Jesus is the only one to say, no, I won't. No, I'm, I'm here to bring life and freedom 
to, to free people from sin and death. And in the process, he's killed for it. He's blamed for it. And he's, he's all the, the consequences, legal and otherwise, for this sick, illegal operation gets put on him. And nevertheless, he's raised to life and he comes back to set us free and to clean house from top to bottom, transferring us to a new neighborhood, the neighborhood of the Holy Spirit, and bring life and peace and freedom to bring a binding power that's different and better. It's the binding power of life, the binding power of, res- of uh, resurrection, um, the binding power of forgiveness, the binding power that changes generations. Um, and uh, he has done what, well, just telling someone to work harder, just like drive, rolling your window down and driving by and being like, Why, have you ever heard of like pulling yourself up by your bootstraps? That doesn't work when you're stuck in a system. Jesus Christ entered the system and entered the weakness of it and brought the power of the cross and he broke the binding power of sin and death. And now we live in the neighborhood of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're here in this community of faith where the Holy Spirit now lives and reigns. We learn a different way of operating. We learn a different way of, uh, of living. And now every good intention of God that he had for us, all the vision that God had for our life can now be fulfilled and restored here. Um, and that's what God did. That's his devastating power move that he pulled in Jesus. A doomed people can now be set free, whole, and right with God. Okay? So, so that's what God's done. It's beautiful. It's powerful. And crazy though it sounds, even some of us who believe that and who live that still have parts of us that resist it. We still resist it. It's the craziest thing that we do. But that's what verses 5 through 8 is going to get into. Um, The most important way that we resist God is by nurturing a hostile mindset to his ways, to his purposes. Our mindset is like a committed way of living. It includes beliefs, habits, desires, ways of thinking, ways of relating. Some of it we're not even conscious of. But we've internalized it and we perpetuate it. And that's what Paul's going to focus on in verses 5 through 8. He's going to contrast that there's a huge difference between a mindset that submits itself to the old landlord and a mindset that submits itself to the Holy Spirit. Notice the emphasis here. Let's let's read verses 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. They focus on the things of the flesh. They have liturgies around the ways of the flesh. They have strong, committed beliefs around the way of the flesh. They're setting their minds on the things of the flesh. It's what occupies their imaginations and daydreams. He goes on, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. They enthrall themselves with the ways of God. They, they nurture a vision of God day in and day out. They're, they're letting the Word of God steep in their mind and heart and body like a, like a tea bag steeping in hot water. Verse 6, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it simply cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
So when we're born under the binding power of that cruel landlord of sin and death, what happens? Well, we absorb stuff from him, a way of thinking, a way of operating, a way of living. We even just uh, imagining what's possible and what's not possible. We kind of inherit and absorb and receive from that environment. And so then what God says is true sounds crazy. What God wants to do sounds terrible sometimes. Even how does it feel when God comes close? It's meant to feel amazing and renewing and life-giving. But when you have that mindset that is habituated and trained in the old way, the presence of God feels like a threat, and you want nothing with it. Consider even the environment that you grew up in. You might even call to mind the building, the house, or, or maybe it was the school that really shaped you, or a community center that shaped you. The environment really that where you did a lot of absorbing. What do you think was the mindset of that environment? What were the organizing principles, assumptions, values, and beliefs that you absorbed that were hostile to God? The gospel of Jesus. Was the Holy Spirit present and welcome where you were shaped? Or was he resisted? Are there practices, memories, stories, songs that kind of capture that mindset that you have inherited? And here's the important question here. What part of that did you say yes to and continue to perpetuate in your life? Are there, you might even be able to ask the Holy Spirit to help you know. Because a lot of times we don't even know. It's unconscious. That's part of the power. That's part of the binding authority. But what were the assumptions? What were the values? What were the beliefs? What was the thing that you imagined that you said yes to that you even now carry with you? See, even after we're delivered from that old neighborhood, it can still live inside of us. It can still have a foothold, a stronghold, a closed off, to the spirit set of uh, bars and gates. Remnants, uh, remnants of hostility. Remnants of resentment. Um, thinking of God as cruel and mean, perhaps, rather than forgiving, loving, merciful, and just. Or maybe just that belief of, like, sin's too powerful. It's just too strong. It's actually, it's actually bad to say no to it. We start thinking crazy things like that no one should tell us to not sin, that, that the, including the Holy Spirit, that that must be something terrible rather than something good. How are we resisting the Spirit of God? And I trust that the Lord will help us all see those areas of our life that are hostile and even unable to submit to the binding power of life and freedom and resurrection. 
Um, so that's the resistance piece. What about the cooperation? What about saying yes? That's saying no. There's ways that we can say no. Say, Lord, I don't want to say no anymore. What about saying yes? What does it look like to say yes? Um, verse 9 begins this section. You, however, uh, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. So you're not in the old apartment complex that's crushing you, but you're in the spirit who's reviving you and renewing you. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Said positively, anyone who does have the spirit of Christ belongs to him. I mean, now and forever. You've been adopted and chosen. You are included. And this is relational. It's a relational reality we step into when we say yes to the work God did in Christ. And you have now the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit? I mean, being in this deep, loving relationship with the Holy Spirit, it's like combining the best parts of a marriage, the best parts of a friendship, the best parts of being in a mentoring group, the best parts of being in an awesome school, the best parts of being in a business partnership, the best parts about being invited to dinner, the best parts about being part of a great city group, the best parts of going to the parish retreat, product placement, um, the best parts of belonging wrapped into one and then some. That's what it's like to receive the Holy Spirit. You now have a partner in this. You have a source of life. Did you know that? When you're in Christ, you have a source of life. You live in him. He's surrounding you, but he also lives in you. He can speak to you. He can encourage you. He can empower you. He can help you know God's forgiveness. I mean, there's an incredible partnership that you have now been giving. And saying yes to what God has done is saying yes to the Holy Spirit who wants to move forward to what God has done into, you know, more parts of our life. He's our new teacher. He's our new guide. Um, and he is a power greater than death, a power greater than sin. Verse 10, uh, if Christ lives in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, if the spirit of him um, who raised Jesus from the dead, and this is talking about God the Father uh, here, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, God the Father, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So here's a word of hope for all of us who have bodies that get colds, bodies that get old, bodies that decay, that hurt, that are mortal, that are vulnerable. Listen, uh, we even, these mortal bodies, now have the Holy Spirit who will, if we are in Christ, one day resurrect us. One day we will have no more sin. One day we will have no more death. One day there will be no more racism and segregation. One day there will be no more injustice. One day there will be no more corruption. All physical wounds of this life will be healed completely. All relational and spiritual wounds of this life will be healed completely. All suffering will turn into strength. And we, we have a foretaste of that. We have a deposit of that now. We have like the earnest money, as it were. Now, of all of that, of heaven itself living inside of us, the Holy Spirit. I want you to imagine the greatest worship service you've ever been to. Some of you were here last Easter, a week ago on Easter Sunday, and man, it was so much fun, wasn't it, to 
like celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and like man, his victory over sin and death and it's beautiful and it's comprehensive and we're singing and we're dancing and we're, and we're, we're like shouting about the victory. And the thing is that one day, if we're in Christ, one day we're going to have that same kind of worship service, only we will have tasted victory over death too. I mean, can you imagine what that worship service is going to be like when all of us have resurrection bodies and we're like seeing that Jesus has won victory over the grave and now we've passed through it. I mean, none of us here have passed through the grave yet. One day we will go to the grave. If we're in Christ, he's going he's gonna to help us pass through the grave. Then he's going to resurrect our bodies and clean up all of the old apartment complexes out there and just restore everything in Jesus. And we have that binding power of the Holy Spirit now. And so that means that we are called to exercise it, to call upon it, to cooperate with it. And Paul describes that personal responsibility in verses 12 and 13. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors. Like, we're responsible, okay? We're, we're, um, there's expectations for us. Not to the flesh, but to live, uh, to live according to the flesh. For you, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We are not beholden to that old landlord anymore. In fact, we are now signs and wonders to the landlord and all of his minions that his days are numbered. And the way that we do that is by putting sin to death, by confessing our sins, by being renewed by the Holy Spirit, and stepping into the calling that God has for us day in and day out to press against the forces that would otherwise shape us to fit, uh, to fit some other vision of life. And so we've got to face these temptations that the old landlord's going to want to come back and say, I've got you, I've got the goods on you, I know what you've done, I know who you are, I know who you came from, you're just a kid from the block. And we stand up to him and we say, no, you don't. Um, and I don't answer to you anymore. We call on the Holy Spirit and we say, help me. I mean, by the Spirit and in the Spirit and through the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body. This is not like watching snowfall outside the window and being like, well, this is how life is. <laughs> this, is going, this is going, no, um, I am not going to bend in to the temptations and the threats and the siren song of the old life. Some of us feel so weighed down by the guilt and the shame of what we have done, the setbacks, um, the things that have been said to us, um, and we feel like, man, we deserve to go back to the old binding power. That's the only thing that we deserve to do, and that is also not true. The call for us is life in the Spirit. The call for us is to say, Yes to resurrection, to by faith, to step into this reality and put to death the deeds of the body. It means taking up power by saying, I have been given power, spiritual power, um, and I have responsibility to combine with that power. That this spiritual power that I've been given, I'm going to own it, I'm going to learn it, 
I'm going to exercise it, and I'm going to step into the resurrection. This means really at the end of the day, what does it mean? It looks like intimacy with the Holy Spirit, intimacy with the person of Jesus, letting him know us, letting him love us, letting him lead us. And this is going to require, I think, a measure of relinquishing some of the independence that we have. It's going to mean being known and loved in an uncomfortable way. where We take the hand of the Lord Holy Spirit and we say, you're in charge, okay? I want you to lead me. I want you to put things to death. I'll give you a little example of what happened to me during Lent. Is that I started Lent um, with this idea of how the Lord wanted to change my life. And by the end of the season... I started writing down some of the things that the Lord had asked me to do this Lent, and I realized, oh, he had something else in mind. He actually had something else that he wanted to put to death, something more important, something even more fundamental to my relationship with the Lord. I trust the Holy Spirit in you. I trust that as we, the body of Christ, and as you as an individual member of Jesus um, or someone who's considering the claims of Christ, that the Holy Spirit knows He's your teacher. He's your guide. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God, as we prayed, can break stones and it can bring life. I want to now take a time to pray before we move on, um, and before we confess our sins and pray together in the prayers of the people. I want to encourage you to now, in your own hearts and minds, call on the Holy Spirit. That He's... He is the source of power. He actually is the one who brings change, who brings life to dry bones, who fills deserts with streams. And so now, Lord, I pray that you would descend and fall and that you would be like, for some people, Lord, going from a pilot light to a flame. For others, Lord, uh, filling in those dried out ditches in the desert filling them, Lord, and making them life-giving streams again. For others, Lord, you really are going to and maybe even take us back to that old apartment complex and show us what you want to scrub out and clean out and renew and restore. Bring healing of memories, forgiveness of sins to people that we have a sin against. Or perhaps, Lord, bringing freedom of a sin that we... uh, continue to experience shame about. Lord, give us a way to actively participate, maybe a way to obey. Holy Spirit, I ask for greater trust uh, between our heart and your heart. Encourage us, bring forgiveness, renew the bond of love. Give us valor, give us strength to step into our calling, to our inheritance. I ask, Lord, now for the binding power of the Holy Spirit, that of life and peace, to be made available through us, to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name.